Amen. Welcome, everybody. It's good to be with you once again as we continue on in our little study here called The Basics. We've been looking at some, uh, some habits, some valuable practices for the Christian life, looking at some things that are going to be beneficial to all of us as we endeavor to be more like Jesus. And so we've looked at, uh, from week one, we talked about uh, the important discipline of spending time alone with God every single day. I hope that you have made that a habit in your life to meet with him one-on-one. Week two, we talked about how do I experience the Bible? How do I get the most out of the Word of God? You know, we talked about uh, going line by line, verse by verse, word by word in the scriptures, asking three types of questions. Uh, You know, what is the way that I should observe this text? Asking, what does it say? What does this text say? And then looking for an interpretation. What does this text mean? And then asking questions of application. How do I respond? to this text. All beneficial things, means of study, experiencing the Bible. And then last week we looked at the importance of prayer, how to pray effectively. And we talked about how, how I should meet with God, when I should meet with God to pray, uh, what prayer is, who I should pray with, and all of these valuable habits. And so tonight we're going to look at something that is, that is of the utmost importance in our uh, discipline of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to ask, how do I share my faith? How do I share my faith? You know, some people wonder, why can't Christians just keep it to themselves? You know, why, why, why do we have to just yap about our faith? Why do we got to talk about Jesus all the time? And they just want to know, you know, why can't we just make it a private matter, keep it personal? Well, let me just say this. Your Christianity is absolutely personal. It is not private. It is absolutely not private. Uh, Quite the opposite, in fact. There are people that the world considers to be the finest examples uh, of a Christian uh, in, in reality, which is the kind of Christian who just has a deep abiding faith. But 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 they keep it to themselves. They never talk about it. They never tell anybody about it. They just they just worship the God on their own time and they don't force it on anybody. Remember when everybody got so mad, so upset with Tim Tebow? for daring to talk about Jesus, for daring to kneel and thank God whenever he would allow him to make a good play on the field, you know? And they're like, why can't you just keep it to yourself? Listen, if the early church had that mentality, we wouldn't be here. Not one of us would be here. And so we are called upon to share our faith. And in the Bible, there's a word for that. It's called witnessing. Witnessing. Okay, we are to witness Christ in Acts 1.8. He says, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're to testify. You're to bear testimony about who I am. And so we are to share our faith. There's lots of good reasons why we should do that. As I've just sort of explained in your notes, it's a command. It's a command of Jesus himself. You know, the word go appears in your Bible 1,514 times, and in the New Testament, it appears 233 times, and in Matthew's gospel alone, it appears 54 times. From the lips of Jesus himself, we get go to the lost sheep, go and tell John, go and invite all you meet, go and make disciples. We are meant to be a people 
that goes. We go, we move our feet, and we engage the world, and we share the hope that is in us. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, and uh, in verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went down to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that, that is the great commission. And it, that is the heart of everything that we do as a church. We got a mission statement here. It's, it's to reach, raise, and release undeniable followers of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, it's got at the heart of that making disciples, Christ followers. But let me tell you, you can't make a disciple until they hear the gospel first. That's where it all starts. They've got to hear the gospel. They've got to know about this hope. And the last part of that great commission, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know why I think he put that in there? Why do you think he put that in there, that, that he's with us always to the end of the age? Because when people think about sharing their faith, what happens? They get afraid. They start to be fearful about it. And so he wanted all of us to know, I know I'm asking you to do something that's outside your comfort zone. I know I'm asking you to do something that that causes you to tremble a little bit. You need to understand something. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, and I am with you always. Does that take the pressure off a little bit? You're like, well, I don't know, Pastor Scott. I still have to open my mouth. Well, we're going to try to encourage you in that regard. But I understand, okay? I understand what it means to be afraid to share your faith. I remember the first time I ever led someone to Christ. I was 12 years old. I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. My father pastored a church up there. This is in the mid-'80s. And Billy Graham came to town. And there was a week-long crusade. And he was only going to be there two out of the five nights. We had another speaker the first three nights. And as with all of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association uh, events, they come in weeks in advance. They do a training. They train counselors so that they can be prepared to counsel people in, in how to receive Christ as Savior. And so our little tiny church sent some people to this counseling, including me. And I went because we were a very small church. They needed all they, they could get. And so pastor's son went along. I'm 12 years old. I was nervous as a cat. I didn't want to do this. And so I learned how to do it, though. I went through the training. And then the crusade started the first three nights. This guest speaker, uh, I went down to the front at the end of the service. And I'm just standing there, just kind of looking. Nobody came to me. And then Billy Graham shows up. And he preaches that first night. And there was a flood of people because Billy Graham, the spirit was on him. He was delivering the gospel. And I go down the front and I wait. And nobody showed. Nobody walked toward me. There's one night left. Billy Graham's preaching. He's got his glasses off. He's got that eagle-eyed stare that he has, you know. You know, just the power of God, you know, convicting people. And then... Halfway through his message, big, dark thundercloud forms over the stadium, and it starts to rain, and Billy Graham immediately cuts right to the gospel, and he starts to call people forward. So on cue, I go down there toward the front, and I'm standing right there. Billy Graham is right here, and I look up, and I see the man, and the rain starts coming, big, heavy raindrops, and I'm like, 
Lord, please send everybody home. Please send everybody home, you know. And in the rain comes this kid about my age. And, and I see him and, and our gazes meet. And he stops and he looks around and he looks back at me and I go, like that? And he comes over and he stands right there and we're in the pouring rain. And I got my little piece of paper out and it's just drenched, you know. And I'm going through my little outline and I'm asking him questions and he's responding. And I go through the thing and the presentation. I say, I say, would you like to pray to ask Jesus to come into your life? And he goes, Yes. And I go, bow your head and close your eyes. And he goes. <laughs> and the kid got saved. And I've never forgotten that. And I bet he's never forgotten that. <laughs> Getting saved in the pouring rain about 10 feet from Billy Graham. That's, that's pretty cool. So that was my first one. But I can identify with being afraid. You know? But here's what you got to remember. Not only is it a command, but in your notes, people desperately need to hear the good news. We share because they need it. That's what gospel means. It means good news. Literally, that's what it means. Okay? People need this. We're all worried we're going to offend people. That's why a lot of people don't share their faith. They're like, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, what, are you going to offend them into hell? They're already going to hell. You're giving them good news. Why would good news be offensive? I mean, if you were in a burning building with a bunch of other people and you knew the only way out of that building, are you going to be like, well, I don't know if I should tell them. I mean, that might be presumptuous, you know? I mean, what if they know another way out? Who's to say that my way is the best way? Who's to say that they don't already know the way? Maybe I'm going to offend them. No, you're going to get them out of that burning building because you don't want to die. You don't want them to die. It's your responsibility. This is life-saving information. And on some level, the world knows it has a need. The Bible tells us that. Romans 1, it says that the truth of heaven is revealed in the created order, and all men know. That's why they're without excuse. They know they've got a need. The trouble is they don't know where to find the solution to that need. They try to fill that void with anything they can, with drugs, with alcohol, with relationships, with, with status, with all of these things. Who knows what will fill that need? We do. We have the prescription. And so we've got to share it with them. They need good news. Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? All right, good news. Good news ought to travel fast. How many of you, when you hear good news, uh, you, you just keep it to yourself? No, no, you find something out, you naturally want to tell somebody. When my wife and I found out we were pregnant with her second child, this would be our oldest daughter. We were living in Texas. We called my parents in Arkansas at the time, and I, we told them they were ecstatic. And then we called Deanna's parents, and they were ecstatic. Uh, and then I said, oh, let's call my brother. And I called my brother, and I got a busy signal. And then I called my grandparents. I got another busy signal. I called some other relatives, couldn't get them. Finally called my brother back. By the time I got a hold of him, we figured out what, would, what was happening. My parents were calling everybody. <laughs> Why? Because good news travels fast, or it should. It should, okay? So we should be bursting with this. Now, how should we go about telling others? How should we go about telling others? I want to give you some approaches to sharing our faith. Some approaches to sharing our faith. The first approach is the direct approach. It's the direct approach. Okay? Uh, when Jesus says go, 
That means you start moving and you go find somebody and you start talking. You tell them. That's direct. We go on one verse from what we just previously read, Romans 10, 15. You know, we're, we're supposed to preach. And it says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Right? I used to work at a company, and I, I was in sales. And so I had a database, and I would call, and I would try to sell people on, on home health supplies. And uh, these people didn't know who I was, and they didn't know why I was calling. I had to call them and explain, this is our product. This is why you need this product. Right? What do you call that? You call that a cold call. All right? Sometimes when we talk to strangers, it feels like a cold call. You are addressing their need. You don't know them. But you do know about them. You know that they have a need because they're human. And you know who the answer to that need is. And so, But you're introducing them in the context of a conversation that you've never had before with this individual. That is a very direct approach. Some people don't like that. They say that's too aggressive. That's too in your face. You know, Some people say, well, I don't want to beat people over the head with my Bible. And I understand the concern because the truth is there are some people out there that, that engage in this and they, they have no problem with being aggressive. And they are aggressive. And some of them have a tendency to not just simply share the truth with somebody, but they get into an argument. And they get into a debate. And they shoot themselves in the foot because they've created a distaste for the message that is in them. And so I understand, but I do think that the Bible calls for a direct approach. If, if the early church did not engage in a direct approach, again, we would not be here. We would not know Christ. And so that's the direct approach. The other approach that I want to tell you about is the passive approach, the passive approach. This is where you're not super overt, all right? Some would call this lifestyle evangelism. You just model your faith. You model Christianity by, by loving people. You be like Jesus. And that in and of itself is a testimony. St. Francis of Assisi uh, is often quoted in support of this, or a quote that is attributed to him, which is this, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Now, I like that quote. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like the sound of that. I kind of I like the sentiment that is there. It's a great sentiment. You know, be Christ. I mean, it is certainly true that you, you and your life may be the only picture of Jesus that some people ever see. But I will say this. Words are necessary. All right? Can they know the gospel simply by how you live your life? No, they can't. You have to be able to articulate the gospel. That said... If your life does not back up the presentation of the gospel, are they going to come to faith? Absolutely not. You, you are an advertisement. You are a validation by your life for the message that you're going to articulate for them. Uh, a lot of people, though, believe in lifestyle evangelism. They look at 1 Peter 3.1, where Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Without a word. By the conduct of their wives. And so the context there is that you had some faithful, believing wives with unbelieving spouses, and Peter was saying, you want to win your spouse? You win your spouse by, by being loving and obedient and respectful and model the love of Christ to your spouse. He was not saying, nobody needs to say the gospel to your spouse. He was saying, you're going to set your spouse up to receive the gospel by your conduct. That's what he's saying right there.
All right? So this is, these are both very important, uh, direct and passive approaches. Also, there's this, the organic approach, which is sort of maybe a combination of the two. Paul in Colossians 4.3 says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So here's Paul. He's in chains. He's in prison. And he's writing uh, to, to uh, Colossae. He's saying, pray for me that doors will open. Not my prison door, but doors to share the faith, share the gospel with, I presume, the guards. And Paul won guards to Christ. He won Roman centurions to Christ, okay? So they prayed, and he took advantage of open doors all the time. So that means that we're to look for obvious opportunities via relationships that we have, via spontaneous conversations that come out of nowhere. I've had a lot of these. You know, I, I wasn't looking necessarily for a witnessing opportunity, but one found me. Has that ever happened to you guys? It probably will. Uh, You may have been presented with some opportunities and you didn't recognize them, or you did, and you went the other way. We got to be looking for these doors that God will just swing open for us. But the bottom line is, all of these are things that God can use. Think about how you came to faith. Think about who shared the gospel with you. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a total stranger that knocked on your door. And cold called you in the name of Jesus. Maybe you went to an event and the gospel was given and there was an altar call and you came down and you prayed with a stranger down in front of the altar. Maybe, maybe it was any number of things. Isn't it wonderful that God can use any and all of these venues and, and approaches? Absolutely. So we've got to be sensitive to the Spirit. Now, with the remainder of the time that I've got, I want to give you a practical method for sharing Christ with a lost person. Okay, and, and this is going to fall into three, uh, three sections. And the first section is this, engage. In your notes, engage. Okay, what does that mean? Let me introduce you to a concept. It's called a conversation. A conversation. I know. Nobody's ever heard of this before. Listen, this is something that people do every day. Uh, Granted, some are more comfortable with this than others. Uh, If we are to share the gospel, you cannot get around the necessity of having a conversation. You understand this? I realize that people are very fearful about speaking to other people. Okay, I saw a poll taken, what is your greatest fear? And number one on that list was speaking in public. Number one, fear, speaking in public. Number two, death. (laughs) People are more afraid of speaking in public than dying. And then you add to that context, it's a total stranger, it's a one-on-one conversation, and I'm addressing their spiritual need that they might go to hell. that's, That's some pressure right there. But a conversation is an important building block of a relationship, which is an important building block of a friendship. And there's no greater venue, channel, for sharing the gospel than friendship. And so you got to, however you share the gospel with someone, it's going to involve talking to them. So let's say this is someone that you just met. Now, I'm going to go through some elements of a conversation in a bit here, Uh, but what I want you to do when you engage in conversation with someone is I want you to do something very, very important. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you what this is. Here's what I want you to do in this conversation. I want you to listen. 
listen. Now, I, this is not something that we're good at, all right? Because when we're comfortable enough to converse, we tend to just kind of tell people about us, all right? You can slip into that and just be talking about yourself. You need to listen, which means you might need to put those questions forth. You're going to be asking them questions, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it. But the, the purpose of you listening, you're like, how can I present the gospel if I'm just listening? No, no, you're not to the gospel yet. You're just getting started. You're engaging in conversation. So you're listening. What are you listening for? You're listening for some phrases. I'm going to show you uh, a point in this conversation where you're going to inject some spirituality into the conversation, and they're going to respond to this. And when they do, you're going to listen for some important phrases that will clue you in to their spiritual condition. So when you bring up spirituality, they might say something like, well, I don't believe there's a God. They might say, well, you know, the Bible, the Bible is really contradictory, isn't it? They might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not really a religious person. Um, I'm more of a spiritual person, you know. They might say, you know, I know so many Christians, they're just all so intolerant, you know. They might say, well, you know, there's many ways that a person can get to God. They might say, you know, I just don't believe in hell. No, I don't, I don't think God would send anybody to hell. Uh, they might say, uh, well, I'm basically a good person. Not really worried about what's going to happen when I die. I think everything will pan out okay. They might say, yeah, absolutely right and wrong. I, I think, you know, what's right for you might be right for you, but not necessarily for me. These things. Why are these important phrases? Because they give you clues in, as to their spiritual condition. You're getting some insights as to where they stand with the Lord. And, and this is valuable, not so you can judge them, not so you can condemn them, uh, but it's gonna help you know how you should proceed, how you should respond to them, how you should engage with them, what kind of questions you need to address with them. And a lot of times, these conversations are unplanned. They're spontaneous. They come out of nowhere, okay? They're providentially arranged. They might seem random, they're not. They're not random. They are divine appointments, which means you need to be a good steward of these when they pop up, okay? They could take place anywhere with anyone. They could take place in the break room where you work. They could take place in a classroom where you go to school. They could take place in your living room with a family member. They could take place in a dorm room, a locker room, a waiting room, all right? It just happens, there's also some intentional planned opportunities uh, like this, okay? There are people that you know, you're a believer, and this is on your heart, and you might identify somebody who needs to hear this message, and so you're, you're planning on reaching out to them. You're planning a time to meet with them, which means maybe as an employee at work that you ask a coworker to sit and have lunch with you. All right. Maybe if you're a, a, you know, a, a housewife, uh, maybe you plan to have coffee with somebody. Maybe if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're going to have a play date with another mom at the park with their kid. You've got to take some opportunities to engage in conversation, but it might involve purposely scheduling time with others to talk about Jesus. It's intentional, deliberate effort to witness. And for some people, that is not something that they are accustomed to doing. It is way out of their comfort zone to do this. And what I'm saying is, if you step out and you do it, and you begin to do it with some frequency, eventually it becomes part of who you are. And that you become very comfortable 
with it. And so you're going to engage in conversation, and you're going to listen to to them speak and utter phrases that help you identify their spiritual condition. And it shouldn't take you long. When I talk to somebody, I can know kind of where they're at. Now, God looks on the inside, man does not. We, we see the outside. But when they tell you what they believe, you can take them at their word that that is what they believe. And so, yes, you can know uh, to a large degree a general sense of the condition of someone's heart by what they speak, what they say in relation to certain questions, okay? Now, how do you get started? Some people are like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to start a conversation like that. Let me give you some practical stuff, okay? There's a method called, and it's in your notes, it's called Rocky, R-O-C-I, not like the boxer, okay? It's spelled different. And it's just an acronym. It's a way for you to remember some important uh, uh, sections of your, your engagement, with somebody. The R stands for residence. You're just going to ask them questions. You're going to say, so where do you live? Where are you from? See, we naturally do that anyway, don't we? But this is a great way to just initiate a conversation, and they'll, they'll tell you. Now, an art is to identify or to think of some follow-up questions, to be listening and think of follow-up questions, depending on what they say. If they say, yeah, I live over in, you know, da-da-da-da, well, you can say, oh, really? Well, I, yeah, I've never been in that part of town. Do you, do you like it there? How long have you lived there? You know, you, you're just asking some follow. Where do you live? Where are you from? Oh uh, yeah, I knew a guy out there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, o, o is for occupation. What do you do for a living? Really? How long have you done that? Do, do you enjoy that? Did you, so did you have to go to school for that or how'd you get into that? Right? Uh, C is for children. You got any kids? How many? Yeah. Now what, what ages? Boys, girls, what? Right? We do this, people. This is natural, right? You say, well, what if it's somebody that's too young to have kids? You just ask them about their family. Tell me about your family. You know, they'll tell you about your, their parents, uh, their siblings, and all that. Yeah, where do you fall in there, etc. I is for interests. So what are, you, what are you into? What do you do for fun? You got any hobbies? You know, you like, what do you do? And they'll, they'll start talking about that. Oh, yeah, no, we're campers. We like to go camping. I'm, I'm, I'm into fishing or underwater basket weaving or, you know, whatever. But all of this allows you time to what? You're listening and you're, you're gaining some goodwill. Because if you're listening to them, they're more prone to listen to you. You understand? And so you're, you're also ascertaining their spiritual level. And at the right time, you're going to ask a transitional question. In your notes, and this is going to shift the conversation. You're going to wait until the right moment, and you'll know when it is. And you're going to ask them something that will put it on a spiritual plane. You're going to say, so do you have a church background? Or, or, or maybe, where do you go to church? Do you go to church around here? Or maybe it's more blatant. Maybe it's like, so are you, do you, uh, are you interested in spiritual things? I mean, you've asked them you know, what, what their interests are, what their hobbies are, what they do for a living. This is, this is actually not a very illogical question. So are you interested in the spiritual? And it, you may not ask a question like that until you've talked for a long time. But where, do you go to church somewhere? That's, that's maybe not as on the nose. And so they start to talk about that theoretically. And now this is going to get you to the next action step. So you have engaged, and now you're ready in your notes to inform. Now you're ready to inform. And the inform step is you 
beginning to verbally share your faith. Now, there are a few approaches to this. You could, you could share your testimony, all right? What's your testimony? Your testimony is your faith story, all right? This is unique to you. Nobody has a testimony exactly like you. It's kind of like your thumbprint, all right? But it's, it's a valuable thing because it shows that you are personally invested in the message that you're about to deliver to them. I mean, would you buy a product from somebody that didn't use that product? No. And so this gives credence to what you're saying because you personally have benefited from it. Paul gave his testimony in Acts 22. It was incredibly powerful. He was zealous to do it. God used it. And he can use yours. Your testimony is not like Paul's. Your testimony is not like mine. Mine is not like yours. You understand? And I would, I would say that it is important for every Christian to know how to articulate their testimony, what God has done for them. And I would, I would encourage you, if you've never done this, to write it out on a single sheet of paper. And I wouldn't use the whole sheet. I would, like, go half the sheet. Don't write a book, okay? This is not the Lord of the Rings here. This is half a sheet of paper, right? And the elements that you want to talk about are your life before Christ, a brief description of who you were, how you thought, what you did before you came to faith in Christ. The second element you want to include is your encounter with Christ, how you came to faith. And by the way, this does not need to be you know, you don't need to feel the pressure to make this some supernatural encounter like and Jesus was standing at the foot of my bed. It doesn't need to be that. Just when was that moment that you, it clicked for you, that you understood? And then a third element is your life since Christ, how he has impacted your life. He's made a difference in your life. You've experienced forgiveness, etc. They need to know that it's made a change for you personally. And that's it. And if you haven't had time, if you haven't taken the time to jot that down, I would encourage you to do that maybe this week. Uh, it's just a very powerful thing. But let me tell you this. No matter how powerful a testimony is, your testimony is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. So your testimony alone is insufficient, you understand. The gospel has to find its way in there. That's just a means to expand their understanding or their receptivity to the gospel. But we all need to know how to articulate the gospel. And this is a difficult thing for a lot of people. And yet... It's something that even the newest of Christians are not afraid to do. Brand new Christians are the most fearless, exciting, infectious people you will ever be around. Think of that guy that was born blind, that Jesus healed, and he went and told everybody. I think he even told him, don't tell anybody. And he went and told everybody. And he went and he told his family. He told the Pharisees. And the Pharisees just want to know, where is this Jesus? And he's like, oh, do you want to know him too? You know, he was just exuberant. And so we can do this. We can articulate the God. There's many ways to do. There's a lot of organizations out there that have produced materials that make it easy to share your faith. You got evangelism explosion and you got the four spiritual laws and you've got, you know, if you follow Ray Comfort on YouTube and his way of the master and, and you got, my goodness, you got, uh, uh, if you grew up Southern Baptist, maybe you know that faith evangelism strategy that they used to do. I've used a lot of these ways to share the gospel. They're all good. It, there's no one best way. The point is your faithfulness and the basics of the gospel message need to be a part of it. But you be faithful to do it. It could be as simple as you just reciting John 3.16 and then summarizing it for them and saying, here's what this means. This means that God loves you. 
He loves you so much he sent his only son to die in your place uh, for your sin and he is inviting you into a life uh, that is full uh, where you follow him. You commit your life to him and you will have eternity in heaven with him. Is that not the essence of the gospel right there? Everybody can do this. Or you can build off of that rocky intro that we discussed and I talked about that transitional question. I'm just going to slide this over a little bit if that's all right with you guys because I need to reach it a little bit better. Okay. We're going to put it right there. Okay. So you have asked them that transitional question. Are you into spiritual things? Do you have a church background? And they're going to start to answer that question. And their answers may vary. They may say, well, I'm not spiritual at all. They may say, well, I grew up... I grew up Catholic, but I haven't been to Mass in years. They may say, well, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, you know, or something like that. They, they might say a lot of janky, weird stuff, and when they do, you know what your response is to be? You're not to grimace. You're not to look angry. Here's what you're supposed to do. You ready? You're supposed to go, that's interesting. All right, let's practice that. One, two, three. That's interesting. One more time. One, two, three. That's interesting. You got it, all right? That's what you say. You say, that's interesting. What you mean is, well, bless your heart, right? (laughs) And if they're from California, they'll go, well, thank you, you know? (laughs) That's interesting. All right, and then after you get their answer, now you're going to ask an analytical question. And here's the analytical question. It's in your notes. If you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven? All right? Now, you don't have to do it this way. I'm just giving you a method, all right? If you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven? This, is a, this question, I'm telling you, I've seen this work over and over. It's a door. Now, they might say yes, They might say no. They might say, I don't believe in heaven. No matter what they say, you can follow up honestly by saying, now why do you say that? Ask honestly. Don't argue. Say, now now why do you say that? Remember, it's a conversation. The conversation's still going. It's still a conversation. It's not a debate. You're not going to win them in the traditional uh, argumentative sense. Okay, You're not going to argue them into heaven. I remember years ago, I was talking with a guy at work. I worked at a, 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 a call center for a bank. And I was, in the, I was in the lunchroom, and I was talking to this guy. And, and, and I had mentioned that I was, I was taking a part-time job at a church. And he asked which church, and I told him. And he said, you know, we were looking for a church. And we thought we'd found a church, and I wanted to join it. And they told me I couldn't join it. And I said, really? How come? And he said, well, they told me I wasn't a Christian. And I said, Really? And so I started asking him a few questions, and I quickly deduced that he probably was not (laughs) a Christian, in fact. And then I eventually got to this question. I said, let me ask you a question. If you were to die right now, do you think you'd go to heaven? And he thought for a minute, and he said, right now? (laughs) And I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, sure, sure. And I said, okay, that's interesting. Let me, um, <laughs> let me put it another way. I said, uh, 
if, if you were standing before God, this is another good variation on this question. If you were standing before God and God said, why should I allow you into heaven? What would you say? And he thought for a long time. He said, I guess I'd say I need more time. And I said, time, time for what? Time to be more of what you're not? I said, let me ask you, have you ever sinned? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, yeah. All right, so let's just say you're having a conversation like that. At that moment where you got him to admit that he's a sinner or she, now you're ready to transition to your gospel presentation. Now, many methods will work here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you a method that is time-tested, and it's called Roman's Road. All right, you heard of Roman's Road? Roman's Road. This is a winner right here, okay? And uh, this approach, you're going to start with a question after that last response, and you're going to say, you know what? I used to think like you. I used to think like you. Can I share something with you from a book in the Bible called Romans? Okay? Now, you're accomplishing two things with that question. First of all, you're asking for permission. Can I share with you? Okay, you're not diving right in and telling him where he's wrong. Secondly, you're saying, I want to share with you not my perspective. Can I share with you what the Bible says in a book called Romans? You see, you're shifting from your authority to the authority of God's word. Okay? It didn't come from, you didn't come up with this. Because you're just a person like that's a person. And you can be wrong just like he's wrong or she's wrong. So you're asking permission. And most people will say, sure. I mean, they're in this deep. They're probably going to say, sure. So now you got a green light. And as you prepare to do the Romans road, I would say it would be, it would be really good to have these verses memorized. Okay? But you don't have to. Uh, what you can do is you can do a couple things. One, you can have a pocket New Testament, which is always a good idea, because then you could give it to them uh, after you're done. But you could go through there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you all of the verses that we're going to use, and you can go through your pocket New Testament, and you can underline or highlight them one at a time, and then when you do that, off to the side, you can write the, the address of the next verse that you're going to go to, so it's a little map in there, all right? And you can have that ready. The other thing you could do is we all have a smartphone in our pocket these days. You just go online or you use an app, a Bible app, or you just find the passages and you copy and paste each one in order into your notes. And you have that ready. And so as you go through this Romans road, when you get to a scripture, you hand the Bible, the New Testament, or, or your phone to the person and you have them read the verse for themselves. That's very powerful. All right, so you're getting started. So you got them to admit that they're a sinner and you say, okay, so you just admitted that you're a sinner. You know what? You're not alone. You're not alone because there is a verse in, in Romans. It's Romans 3.23. What does that say? And you can have them read it for themselves and they'll say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you can then say, yes, all have sinned. You know, that word sin means to miss the mark. That's what it means, to miss the mark. You know, and I, I asked this guy, I said, you ever played darts? He goes, yeah. And so I grabbed a piece of paper and a pen that was sitting there. Now, if you have paper and a pen with you, you can do this. You don't have to. I happen to think a little visual thing is very effective. And I said, so... And you can draw this along with, everybody can make that, right? 
You can draw that. It's three circles. I said, when you, when you play darts, what's the point? I said, what's this right here? He said, that's the bullseye. I said, yeah, what's the point of darts? He said, to hit the bullseye. I said, that's right. So let's say you and I are playing darts, and you throw your dart, and it's going to end up right there. And then it's my turn. And I, I throw a dart, and I get a dart right there. Which one of us hit the bullseye? He said, well, neither one. I said, that's right. We both missed it, didn't we? Didn't matter that I got closer than you. We both missed the mark, the center of the mark. That means we've, that's what sin is. Sin is to miss the mark. It's still a miss. Now, I said, there's another verse in Romans, and it's Romans 5, 8. And I had him read that. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners... As we all are, Christ died for us. He died for us. And so on your handout, there should be some space on the back. If you want to do this along with me, I guarantee you, I show you that you can do this, okay? Here's what I did with this guy. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to draw one line here, and then you're going to go straight down. And then you're going to draw another line here, and you're going to go straight down. And then I put... A stick man right here. Everybody could do a stick man, right? And then over here in capital letters, I wrote the word God. And I said, all right, buddy. I go, here's God, here's you. Now, in between here is a chasm. This is like miles and miles in between you. You can't get to God. Now, you might try to build some bridges, okay? And this is what people do. They try to build bridges to get to God or to get to immortality. And they try to accumulate stuff. And they try to build bridges of money or of fame or, or religion. They put their trust in that or philosophy. But none of them can reach to the other side. Now that's, that's a problem because there's another verse in Romans. And it's Romans 6.23. And I had him read that. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And when he read that, down at the bottom of this chasm right here, I wrote the word hell. And I even, for effect, put some fire down there, you know? And I said, look, you go out and you try to make it to God on these little short bridges, you're going to go all the way down here. Or you're going to try to jump across and you're not going to make it. But I said, you know what? Look at the rest of that verse. And he read the second half of Romans 6.23. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I said, are you aware of what God did for you? And he said, I think so, but I'm not sure what. And I started from God's side right here. And I started right here, and I went all the way across. And then in the middle, I went a vertical line all the way down to the pit. And I said, what does that look like to you? And he said, that's a cross. I said, that's right. That's a cross. And I said, let me ask you a question. Have your hands ever done things that they're not supposed to do? And he said, yes. I said, well, there were some hands that were nailed to that cross. I said, have your feet ever taken you places that they shouldn't go? 
He said, yes. I said, well, there were feet nailed to that cross. I said, has your head ever thought thoughts it shouldn't be thinking? He goes, yeah. I said, well, there was a, a divine head on that cross that had a crown of thorns on it. I said, have you ever turned your back on God? He said, yes. I said, well, there was a back that hung here and it had stripes on it because of it was scourged over and over for us. I said, have you ever closed your heart to God? He said, yes. And I said, there was a heart that was pierced by a Roman spear that shed blood for you and for me. I said, you know who it was that climbed up on that cross? He said, Jesus. I said, that's right. And at that moment, I said, let me ask you another question. Have you ever given a gift to someone? He said, I have. I said, how much did you expect them to pay you for that gift? He said, well, no, nothing. It was, it was Christmas. It was a gift. I said, exactly. By definition, you don't expect someone to pay you for a gift. I said, this cross, where did it start? I started right here. I didn't start over here. It came from God. This was the son of God who died in your place. That was a free gift. A free gift like we read in Romans 6.23. You don't earn a free gift, do you? And he said no. And I said, you know what the benefit of that gift is? There's another verse right here. And I said, incidentally, this is my favorite verse in the entire Bible. Romans 8.1. And he read it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Do you know what that means? I said, he said, what? I said, that means hell is off the table. Because of that gift, you receive that gift, you have a way to God, and hell is not a factor for you anymore. And then we talked about how this gift is received. And I said, you know, in Romans 10, 9, uh, let's see, is it Romans 10? Yeah. Romans 10, 9 through 10. And I'm going to say 13 as well. Here's what it says there. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And in verse 13 it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I said, that's how you receive that gift, is by calling on the name of the Lord. And what it means to call on the name of the Lord, it means that you put your trust in him. And you are trusting him for your eternity. And you receive that free gift. You don't try to do it by works. You don't try to build little bridges. It has nothing to do with your puny little efforts. It's all about your trust and your receipt of that free gift. Okay, and now we are in that final phase, which is in your notes. This is the inform, or in the, rather the invite. We, we finished the inform phase. Now we're in the invite phase, okay? Here's where you start to wrap things up because the gospel is incomplete without an invitation. You can give the basic facts of the gospel and walk away and you've not done the full job. You need to invite them to respond 
to the gospel. Just presenting the facts is a missed opportunity. You're only sharing part of it. You want them to know that they can, they can respond right away. And so once you've gone through that gospel presentation, you're going to ask what I call a clarifying question. You know what you're going to ask them first? You're going to say, does this make sense? Because that's important, right? You want to know, do they understand what I just shared with them? Do they have these facts correctly? Do they understand what I'm saying? And so I said to this guy in this lunchroom, I said, that's what he did for you. That bridge is built from God's side to you. Is that correct? He said, yes. I said, do you understand that this is not something that you can do on your own? He said, absolutely. And I said, so that bridge is a gift. There's no toll on that bridge. So how do you get to God? Do you trust that bridge? He goes, I do. I said, so what do you, what do you need to do? He goes, I gotta walk across it. All right? Now, if you, if you ask a clarifying question, does this make sense, and they say no, then you, you dive a little deeper, and you see what their questions are, and you try to answer those questions. If they say yes, you go to this final question. Here's the final question in your notes. It's any reason why you wouldn't want to trust Christ now? Give them the opportunity. What do you got to lose? Because they might say, oh, I don't know. You see? Is that on you? That's not on you. You're going to give them an opportunity. I asked this guy, would you like to receive Christ right now? He couldn't pray fast enough. He couldn't pray fast enough. So three things here. These are the keys. They need to learn, they have to understand that they need to trust in the Lord not self. And then they need to turn. They need to turn from sin and self, right? Because this is what condemns us. They gotta turn from that. You're not clinging to this and this. You turn from this and turn to Christ. And then they need, the third T is when they have done that, here's what you need to challenge them to do. Tell someone. Tell someone. Why is that important? Do they have to tell someone in order to be saved? No, but this is a big authenticator. This is a big evidentiary item that validates that that salvation experience was real. This is why I invite people to come to the altar whenever we give the gospel and people pray to receive Christ. I invite them down here. Why? Because if it's a decision worth making, it's a decision worth telling somebody about. When I've led somebody to Christ in a public place and I don't even know them, you know, you know what I like to do sometimes? I, I, the waiter might come. Let's say we're at lunch. The waiter will come and this person just prayed to receive Christ and I'll say, I'll say, hey, what's your name? Hey, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Tell her what you just did. And then they do, right? And now what are they doing? They're witnessing. They're testifying. And that is, that is evidence that something has taken place. And so as we wrap this up, I want you to think about who do you know right now? For some of us, that's the hardest thing. It's who we know. Some of us are like, I could share the gospel with a total stranger before I could share it with my dad or with my brother or my sister 
or my cousin or my nephew. Don't neglect one of the most important things. We talked about prayer last week. You be in constant prayer for that individual. Because don't, that, is, that is the power of God. This is not going to be something that, accomplished, that is accomplished by your best efforts. You understand? You pray because all authority has been given to him. D.L. Moody is one of the greatest preachers, evangelists of all time. Famously, he had a list. I call it his holy hit list. He had a list of 100 people that he prayed for every day. Every day, D.L. Moody prayed for 100 people. And by the time D.L. Moody died, 96 of those people had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as the story goes, at the funeral of D.L. Moody, the remaining four names on that list came. They attended. And the gospel was given at his funeral, and all four of them got saved. You got a holy hit list? Who are you praying for every day? Who would it be really fun to cross their name off that list and celebrate and party, right? And then the other thing I want to tell you is that just remember the pressure's not on you to close the deal. It's not on you to close the deal. You be bold, you share, you will become more comfortable, more bold with every passing opportunity that you take advantage of. All God asks of you is that you are faithful to share. Some plant, some come along later in water. God causes it to grow. And then others, he allows to come and reap the harvest. We all get to be part of it in some way. You have no idea. You you may be like, well, they're going to reject me. Well, maybe they are, but you're planting a seed. And God is still using it. And he's blessing them. And he's blessing you. He's blessing you. All right, that's all I got for tonight. Thanks, thanks for your attentiveness. Let's pray, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh, the privilege, the honor of sharing the gospel. May you make us bold as lions. Would you remind us who we are? Would you remind us uh, the value, the preciousness of the message that we carry? Would you remind us the depth of the need in in humanity uh, so desperate for this message, God? Would you open doors? Would you give us a heart that breaks with the things that break your heart that we might pray fervently every single day? for the the people that we know who need to receive you and not give up hope while they are upright, while they are drawing breath. On this earth, there is still hope. There is still time. As long as we are here, God, may we be committed to sharing this gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.